May we in all things practice compassion. Holy God, we pray all of these things in your name. Amen. Well, it has now been a couple of weeks since Amanda and I got back from Switzerland, which was a trip we had been planning for a long time because we went to visit some friends. Uh, Back when Amanda and I started dating, she had lived in Chicago while I was living in Phoenix. And so I went to Chicago to visit Amanda and got to know her roommate, Becca. And one of the times when I went back, we were hanging out together and Becca brought this guy home, Greg, who was from France. And I can remember back then that he didn't even speak that much English, but that he was really good at humming songs when we were playing a board game together. You'd have to be there. Anyways, Becca and Greg eventually got married and they moved to Switzerland because Greg is a nuclear physicist and there was a job there for him. They now have two kids, Arsene and Basile, with a third on the way. And so that part of the trip was really great. There's really nothing better than visiting old friends. But of course, you don't go to Switzerland and not, you know, see Switzerland. It's a long trip to not do some sightseeing. And so we began to plan this trip and it it dawned on us really the week or two before we left that there are some really important religious sites in Switzerland. In fact, some of the most important people in the Protestant Reformation were located in Switzerland. For instance, we visited the city of Geneva, which is on the far west side of the country in the French-speaking part. And located there is St. Pierre's Cathedral, a church that 500 years ago was led by a guy named John Calvin. May have heard of him. Alongside Martin Luther, Calvin is generally considered the leader of the Protestant Reformation. But you know, where Luther is generally accepted, Calvin is just a little bit more controversial. Uh, And it's in part because of one of the central doctrines of his theology, predestination. And for some people, they hear the term predestination and they, they get shivers down their spine. It can be a very scary idea. Predestination is the idea, of course, that God chooses people for salvation. And often this gets interpreted as there being a people of people, a group of people who are in, we call them the elect, and a people, group of people who are condemned on the outside. And so we all know what this church looks like. This church that thinks that they are the only ones who have been saved, that they are God's elect, and that the rest of the world is destined for hell. And this can be a recipe for a holier-than-thou complex. And it can get very, very exclusive. But I'm going to let you in on a very personal, theological secret about myself. I like predestination. Now, the caveat I want to make is I don't actually think that predestination creates an in-group and an out-group. I think that is a distortion of what Calvin was trying to do. And while we were in Geneva visiting his famous church, 
we were able to visit the Museum of the Reformation, which is right next door, which tells the history of Protestantism, where it came from, where it's been, and where it's going. And when you place it in its context, you realize that the doctrine of predestination isn't about choosing insiders and outsiders. It's actually about returning control to God, to giving back to God what is God's. So today we're going to talk a little bit about what it means. But before we get there, let's listen to our scripture from 2 Peter. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith as equally honorable as ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be yours in abundance in the knowledge of God and of, our, of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Thus he has given us, through these things, his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of lust and may become participants in the divine nature. For this reason, you must make every effort to support your faith with excellence, and excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with endurance, and endurance with godliness, and godliness with mutual affection, and mutual affection with love. For if these things are yours, and you are increasing among you, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For anyone who lacks these things is blind, suffering from eye disease, forgetful of the cleansing of past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more eager to confirm your call and election. For if you do this, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. Oh my God bless this reading. So we are going to talk a little bit more about the historical context of Second Peter next week. And so if you want to know more about where this letter came from, including the fact that it was probably not written by Peter, be here next week at 10.15 a.m. That'll be the sermon topic. But this week, I really wanted to focus on a theme that appears in this first chapter, election. Because for the author of 2 Peter, and for the other authors in the New Testament, there is this group that has been chosen by God, the elect. And this term, God's elect, often comes alongside another term in the Bible, God's righteousness. Righteousness in Greek can be translated in a different way as God's justice. As in God will fulfill God's justice, will do what is just. What is, what is God's justice? This is where it gets tricky, right? Because I, I am a mere mortal. I might be able to grasp at what God's justice looks like but I've also read the Gospels and the New Testament, and I've seen everyone who is sure they know what justice looks like in God's eyes almost always falls short. 
And even Paul says this, that among sinners, he is the chief. God's justice is different than our justice. God's wisdom looks like foolishness to humanity. And so this is the thing with the, gospel, with the doctrine of predestination. You see, rather than place control in the elect or in the church or in any other body on earth, it is instead taking power from earthly institutions and placing the power into God's hands. And I realized this when we were touring the Museum of the Reformation. Maybe you go to a museum and you think about how cool everything looks. I think about, oh, theology, give me more. But go back to the Reformation. The main complaint of the reformers, whether it was Luther or Calvin, was the abuse of power by the Catholic Church. And we all know this story. There were indulgences. The church would literally charge money for salvation and forgiveness. And it was the church that set the terms. They would determine what was sin and in need of forgiveness, and then they would determine what it was worth, how much you had to pay to get out of it. Now, I, I do want to point out the Catholic Church has since reformed and does not do this anymore. But while these abuses were the main catalyst for the reforms, both Luther and Calvin really went after the control the church exercised over salvation itself. So Luther famously advocated for salvation by faith alone. It wasn't the church that set terms for salvation, but rather it was the free act of God that produced salvation. And Calvin went a somewhat different route, but I think for the same reasons. You see, for Calvin, salvation is not something we do. It's something God does. God chose those who were to be saved. It was not based on anything you could do, but rather God predestined folks, elected folks for salvation. So you can see for both of these theologians, this was a move against the power and control of the Catholic Church. The system that produced the abuses of indulgences said salvation is something that the church understands and can control. The reformers wanted to say salvation doesn't belong to you. The power of salvation belongs to God. Whether through a free gift like grace or through God's justice like predestination. Of course, this doesn't quite clear up the problem with predestination, right? Because there are some believers who do believe that God has created a clear in-group and a clear out-group. That the boundary between the elect and the condemned is really clear. But there have been other theologians who have pushed back against this, including, get this, Swiss theologians. So while we were in Switzerland, we visited Basel, Basel is the home to many great theologians, but none greater than the 20th century reformed theologian, Karl Barth. And so we of course had to visit some of the sites, the building where he taught seminars at the University of Basel, the church where he was baptized. It was pretty cool. You would have loved it. 
But for Bart, he had this problem with, he thought 19th century theology had turned God into an object. Like God was a science. Like you could understand and grasp and observe God that it could be comprehended and understood. But for Bart, based on his reading with scripture, there was a problem with this. After all, if you really dig into the Bible, especially in the Gospels, it is not the story of folks who have it all figured out. In fact, it's often folks who think they know what they're talking about, and then Jesus says, well, actually. You know, the story that came to mind for me was, we know the story in the Gospels where Peter asks Jesus, how many times should he forgive his neighbor? Seven times, right? That's a lot. And Jesus goes, no, 77 times, seven times. Because folks continually can't grasp the magnitude of God's grace. And so for Bart, what was needed was a returning of God's power to God. It wasn't what we could understand about God that mattered. It was God's ability to speak as a free actor in the world that was important. And for Bart, this happened in events of encounter, in events where God would speak to us. It could happen in the church. Maybe somebody preached a really good sermon or there was a really great song that was sung. But it could also happen at any moment in life. God could speak through anything. Why? Because of God's freedom. Because it's God who can choose how God is going to reveal God's self to us, which is always something we can't control. We can only respond as faithfully as possible. And so on the question of salvation, Bart was often accused of being a universalist, meaning that sometimes it sounded as though Bart thought that God might just decide to save everybody that everybody, regardless of faith, creed, background, might be saved. And the story is told that late in his life, a student confronted him about this. And the student supposedly said, and you can imagine in a very angry and snarky student voice, it sounds like you think everybody's gonna be saved. And Bart responded in a calm, collected way, would you have a problem with that? For Bart, control over salvation does not belong to us. It's not ours or the church's or anyone else's on earth's responsibility. It is up to God and God's righteousness. Those who claim to know what that is, they're fooling themselves. Our job isn't to know God's mind. Our job is to respond to the grace of God in love and mercy and compassion for others. We can leave the salvation up to God. Okay, so maybe John Calvin and Karl Barth aren't figures you're terribly familiar with, and they're really difficult to read. Barth wrote like 12,000 pages on stuff. It's really theological, nerdy material. Uh, and so I've seen this meme floating around the internet the last few years that actually says this better than I just did. Uh, it's a meme that features characters from the Andy Griffith show. I don't know if this happened in an episode or not. I haven't watched enough, but you all may know. Uh, 
the young boy says, Pa, when is Jesus coming back? And the father answers, you know, I don't rightly know. You see, we're not on the planning committee. We're on the welcoming committee. And quite frankly, I just spent like 20 minutes talking to you about Calvin and Bart, but this is it. Is everyone going to be saved? I have no idea. As a Christian, I really hope so. I really hope that God is working in the hearts of all people, however bad, miserable, degenerate they have been, I hope that God is renewing the hearts of all people. A Christian hope for me is the hope that all people will be saved. Return to the grace and love and mercy of God. But as a Christian, I also know that it is not my righteousness that produces salvation. Nor is it the church's. It's not the elect, however you understand that term, that elects itself. It's God who does that. When we relinquish control over who's in and who's out, who's worthy and who's not, when we relinquish that control to God, then we can fulfill our true purpose to love without consideration for whether or not the other person deserves it. To not worry about who's in and who's out, but to remember that we are all children of God, Christian or not. And so are you saved or lost? Those questions aren't ours to answer. Are you living like God showed us how to live? revealed in Jesus Christ. Good. Let's leave the rest up to God. Amen. As we gather here for worship, we invite you to connect with us. If you are worshiping with us for the first time, we invite you to take a moment after worship to introduce yourself. Uh, and if you are online, go ahead and drop a comment or send us a message. We would love to know more about how you got to our community.